0: If you want to just move boxes, there are places for that. That's called Amazon. If you want to build long-term, long-standing relationships, you got to be willing to put yourself out there. How am I driving more impressions? How do I get more engagement? Like I'm a one-man shop, you know, on a busted cell phone essentially, and I'm basically, you know, scrounging internet from booths as I get to booth to booth. because I was told on Twitter at one point that I was they didn't know if I was real. So I was very bot-like,
1: and there were some questions whether I even was a real person. Friends don't let friends use ceiling microphones. I read that line on the internet a few years ago, and at the time, it was really true. But now we have next-generation ceiling mics that actually sound pretty good. So is there still a place for table microphones, or boundary microphones, as they're sometimes referred to. I wrote a little paper exploring this question, and the conclusions may be a little surprising. Here's a little hint. It's not just about audio. If you'd like to have a look at the paper, send me an email at patrick at and put ceiling mics in the subject line, and I'll send it over to you. It's about a five-minute read. That's p-a-t-r-i-c-k at catchtechnologies.com. All right, on with the interview. Welcome to Software Defined Survival. My name is Patrick Murray. And if you're in AV and have ever been on Twitter, then you've certainly heard of today's guest. Please welcome to the podcast, Chris Netto. Chris, welcome. Hey, Patrick, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm doing just great today. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you? Cool. Um, I like to get started to learn about how people got into this Crazy industry called AV. So, tell us a little bit about your beginnings in AV and how you got into it.
0: All right, I'll give you the abridged version. I've been in the business since about 1998. I uh, I joined actually 1998, right as soon as I graduated college. A buddy of mine by the name of John Zappino was working for a company called uh, All Communications at the time, and uh, I had just finished my internship with the New York Giants football team. I was a video uh, intern, so I was basically working with the New York Giants team uh, nice. in their video department. Yeah, it was fun. Uh, traveled with the team, spent the year with them, essentially, as an intern, and I got college credits for doing this. Uh, didn't get paid. It wasn't a paid internship, but I got college credits, which I needed to graduate. So okay. uh, I wrapped that up, and uh, my buddy John gave me a call. He's like, hey, we're looking for tech. So I'm like, hey, man, I don't know. Uh, I'm, just, you know I'm just graduating. I don't even know what my future is going to be. He's like, you're going to come? do an interview and all right i said all right i'll go and the only thing really that 98 when i was graduating from uh, william patterson university over here in wayne the only thing i was looking at in the college fairs was horrible it was just like rent-a-car management you know positions like come become a <laughs> manager of a rent-a-car I'm like man this sucks this is not what i went to school for right uh and school itself was kind of crazy for me because i was on a six-year plan i uh, i I quit college at one point and took some time off to be a DJ and pizza guy, and you know, kind of messed up. My parents uh, were not very happy. My my upbringing, (laughs) to say the least. I I had my parents are old school, you know, uh, off the boat uh, from Portugal. Uh, You know, my mom went to university, my dad didn't. My dad' only thing in life was to make sure that me and my sister went to college. It's like you're going to have a better life than me and your mom did all right so college was important when I when I said to him that I was taking time off he threw me out of the house so at 19 I'm out of a out of a out of a, the home basically I moved oh. in with a book yeah <laughs> and uh, that's how hardcore it was so I started DJing and started making money um was making good money but I was working seven days a week and uh did not want that lifestyle. Uh, I, it, it was just not, it was very long late nights between working a regular job during the day then DJing at night. Uh, it was tough. So uh, when I got out of college, went back to college, graduated, did the internship, uh, started with the all communication. I started as a video conferencing technician. My first job was really traveling the country, uh, ripping out picture tell Concords, the old boat anchors. <laughs> <laughs> These things are massive. They're like little mini fridges, you know, yeah. If you ever went to college and you took one of those like little cube fridges, they were like that, but much, much heavier um, for the people that never saw those things before. And they had the big War of the Worlds camera, and at War of the Worlds, I'm dating myself, but it's looked like a flying saucer with a big old hook, boom, microphone over it. Uh, I was ripping those out, replacing them with Polycoms. Polycom was the hot product with their ViewStation 512s. So that was where I started in 98, and... From that point on, I became I the sales. I hated it. I uh, went to project management. I loved it. Um, and then I got into, from project management, I went into uh, consulting. I was hired by um, uh, RCM Technologies, which is a uh, little staffing firm that would staff, uh, I guess maybe they're not little anymore, but they staff people at uh, a corporate uh, locations so I first went to work for sharing plow uh, which was a pharmaceutical company based in Kenilworth New Jersey I hung out there for two years and uh, worked uh, on some projects for video conferencing and then uh, got hired by Merck internally as a Merck employee spent about five six six years there uh, internal as a Merck employee working on AV and then uh, left there after a massive layoff went to Novartis. So I, I have pharmaceutical, completely taken advantage of the New Jersey. Uh, um, the fact that New Jersey is a very big pharmaceutical uh, state, a lot of pharmaceutical companies are
1: here. so And I think I, it's safe to say that those companies are a big part of AV in Jersey too, right?
0: Oh, 100%. Those yeah. are some of the best you know, AV users. Uh, between Merck, um, I had about just on one campus alone, I had 140 conference rooms and uh, two auditoriums, yeah. uh, mixed use spaces, training spaces, two cafeterias. Uh, went to Novartis. Novartis had uh, three cafeterias, uh, uh, about three hundred conference rooms spread across twenty buildings on campus. I mean, it was. I really uh, learned the end user side of the business, which was great because a lot of people have asked me the question about how'd you do or like how'd you get into AV. One of the best learning experiences I've ever had was being on the end user side. Um, you don't understand uh as an A V person, you don't understand the other mm-hmm. side, you actually experience it. Uh, when somebody who is not an A V person is telling you you don't have the budget to do something. Yeah. Uh, but you know, as an A V person, you need, you know, microphones embedded in the table because you know, a speakerphone is not gonna do. Uh, you know, right. and you, you're constantly justifying your your existence at a place that their main job wasn't, you know, their main focus is pharmaceutical. I'm an, you know, I'm just there to help. I need to make their jobs easier. And it, you know, it was 13 years I basically spent on the end user side and i loved every minute of it because I learned a whole group, you know, a great deal. So uh, that all led me to where I am today. I uh, spent two years at Barco roughly uh, and now I'm at Staron Uh, Starin is a distributor. We're based out of uh, Chesterton, Indiana. Uh, I am a remote employee, so I work constantly on the road. I'm never in any office per se, so here we
1: are. Very cool. Yeah, I had Bill Mullen on the podcast just the last episode from Starin, so pretty interesting career arc. Uh, I really like what you said about working for an end user, because that's something that most AV pros Hardly ever get to experience, and then for such a long time in in such a, I think those were pretty big installations for for the time that uh, that you were working in the early '00s and late '90s. Uh, today, AV is pretty much everywhere, but back then, to have a couple hundred rooms was really uh, a big, big deal. That was, I mean, we were just starting to put network jacks on our equipment then, so you actually you had to run around, right?
0: Yeah, literally. I mean, we, we were playing with some of the room view stuff back then. And it was very it, it wasn't making sense because in those in the early 2000s, um, there was a bigger fight over the network because with video conferencing going over the network, they were having a hard time um, basically doing, you know, QoS. How do you decipher what is important and what is not? And that was in the early stages of network like planning, like these are the IT guys and they're still trying to figure out how to transport video. Like their biggest fear was when companies and, and and pick a company, any company would come in and talk about, you know, web, web uh, desktop videos. Yeah. And desktop video conferencing was such a bandwidth hog to them. Like they, they feared everybody getting on a, on a video call on their desktop because they didn't have the, the capacity to do that. And most of them weren't even using, you know, hundred, hundred meg you know, jacks yet. You know, it was, it was crazy. There was, it was, it was the early, early days of, of IP and it's amazing how quickly it's come.
1: Absolutely. It's, it's easy to forget that IT actually had a learning curve that they were still trying to find their legs on a lot of the things that we just totally take for granted today. Like, like what we're doing right now, having a, a video conference on my laptop.
0: Yeah. And I'm at home. So yeah, for me all at home, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so if you, if you were to ask me what is the single like spark, like some people will tell you that, oh, the spark for this was, you know, IP. I think it's the minute that high speed Internet made it to the home, things changed because it accelerated the changes in the office and it accelerated the ability for people to be more remote. Uh, you, you couple that with obviously our mobile technology is getting better. If you would have told me in 98 that we would be doing video on our phones or even watching a video on our phone, I would have told you that was
1: crazy talk. Unimaginable. Yep.
0: Unimaginable. There was no way. There was no way possible that there was any sort of compression uh, around that could do that. Um, so, you know, and even if you could, the batteries back then, that was the big thing. Sure. Uh, your phone will never handle it. You if, Even if you send something that big, your phone will, will heat up and die in 15 minutes. Not even. Like, okay. Yeah. So we'll never All have video. Right. We'll never have that Star Trek you know communicator experience. <laughs> they were wrong. The future's
1: here. It yeah. is almost 2020. We're not flying in cars yet though. <laughs> not yet. Um, so you said that is your that's how you wound up today with that little synopsis of your career arc. I think you left out a little a little piece there. and uh, yeah, the whole social media thing. <laughs> Tell us a bit about how that all gets started. Was it um, was it intentional? Was it just something you were doing personally and happened to bring it into your work life? What, what happened there?
0: Uh, around I forget the year, but around the time that I was working at at Merck, um, I kind of sensed that my my time was coming to near coming coming to an end there. Uh, there had been rumors of layoffs coming and uh, groups of people had already been laid off. And here I am, the AV guy at a pharmaceutical company, right? Uh, we're probably considered or looked at maybe at the time, you know, two steps or maybe on the same level as the janitors, right? We can be outsourced. That's we, harsh. Yeah. I mean, all we did was, you know, up for a lot of people, the teams that that I supported my boss was um, based in in headquarters, and she would move around to different sites. And I was responsible for a facility in uh, in Railway. and I had a team of outsourced technicians that worked on site. And uh, man, we you know we we kind of felt that something weird was happening because you start seeing like a lot of people getting laid off, and we knew our place, you know, on the pecking order. Um, you know, we, we left our systems and our systems were running good. And we were kind of from the school of, we went more preventative maintenance because we couldn't be reactive with, you know, with four guys on site and 40 something buildings. Uh, Mm. There was no way we can be everywhere at every time. So we did a lot of, uh, you know, scheduling based on, um, you know, we would ask people to please just give us a heads up when your meetings were, we'd go in, we'd kick off the meetings, make sure everything was good. And then we'd move on to the next. So our days were, you know, the, were like that one, we were not building or, um, doing work on any of the conferences, but anyway, with my time drawing near, because there was some, some instability happening. Um, I went on LinkedIn and I filled out LinkedIn, um, mm-hmm resume on there that's that's essentially it I, for years i was considering doing like a website but i'm not a website builder um mm-hmm. where i could put my my resume and just say hey here's my resume just go to my website like i thought that was a great idea at the time
1: and uh, it was pretty new at the time right linkedin
0: yeah yeah the linkedin was fairly new uh this was about um oh five yeah uh, I, i've been in i've been on twitter for about nine years about 10 years um, and the way it started was when I left, the reason why I told the story of Merck is when I left or knew my, my time was ending and I got my notice that I had been laid off me and another 25,000 people worldwide were laid off that year. Um, I sent out a message on my LinkedIn that I had already built up and all I was doing was sharing stuff that I read on Wired and, um, other types of magazines. And I thought they were very interesting and it was, it was harmless stuff to be sharing. And that's how I learned before I even, started sharing. I read books on social media to understand what I can and can't be doing because one of the things I was going to do was use social media specifically for professional. Uh, I did not, uh, and I still do not find myself to be interesting. There's nothing I do on a daily basis that's worth tracking. Uh, and I fight that all the time because many of, this, many of the people that I follow and read about and um, you know get ideas from on the social media side are very pro-vlogs and yeah. pro content, right? I don't, even back then, I didn't think I had enough content. I don't lead an interesting life, right? I wasn't a jet, right? I don't drive a fancy car. I don't live in a scenic place to take cool pictures.
1: Well, like, half that stuff is fake anyway, but I feel the same <laughs> way.
0: <laughs> you, I didn't know better then. I didn't know better then. I still don't know better now. I go outside and if there's a tree, I'll take a picture in front of it. That's about as scenic as you're gonna get from me. Uh, I do like, you know, I, I, I try. Uh, Instagram, I, I share a lot on my Instagram, but back then with, with LinkedIn, I, I, I went I published it. I published a letter to the people that I had. I had a couple hundred contacts, not much, pretty much just people I worked with or vendors I met with. When I put out this email, like a goodbye email that I'm leaving Merck and I was joining uh, AV desk at the time and going to work at Novartis, dude, the editor saw it. It's like, wow, during the worst economic crisis in the U.S., um, you're able to lose a job on a Friday and start on a Monday. How'd you do it? And I said, social. I said, I, I posted on LinkedIn. I used LinkedIn. She said, can you write about it? So I wrote an article and it became popular. She hmm. came back and said, hey, that article is really popular about, you know, how'd you use social media to find a new job? It's very still very new to people. I said, can do you have anything else? I said, well, I was an art major <laughs> originally when I went to college. And I used to carry a portfolio. Uh, in there were samples of my work, um, uh, my uh, letters from my teachers and instructors, uh, state competition ribbons, whatever I needed to walk into a college and show what I can do. And, uh, I basically created a work portfolio based on that art portfolio, where I had samples of my work. So wherever I could take pictures, that wasn't that I was allowed. I had pictures of my of my work, samples of my work. Essentially, I had my resume, I had good guy emails that people had sent me, I had preference uh, letters, and I put it all in a nice leather bound portfolio. And I would walk to an employer, and I'd ask for a job, and uh, you know I'd get a, an interview, and they're like, what? What, what are you here for? I so I'm here for the job, my interviewer, XYZ job. And they're like, all right. Well, they did go through the rigmarole, the regular interview. And just before the interview ended, I said, here is my portfolio. They're like, what's this? I said, everything that you need to do to hire me. I, they're like, what? And they would open it. My resume, my reference letter, sample, which they're like, wow, you are like a professional interviewer. I said, no, I'm not a professional interviewer. <laughs> Absolutely not. But what I am is somebody who needs a job and wants the job. So you can either choose me based on the work I have in front of you. And you can, we can start dialing those numbers that are in there right now, or you can interview the other
1: three people here, waste a little bit more of your time. I need a job and I want it. it Uh, That's the sales background coming into play. It sounds like it. Yeah, kind of, but
0: I wasn't a sales guy. I will fight you to no end to tell you that I'm not a sales guy.
1: It sounds like a close to me. (laughs)
0: it's not it's so not a close i i I can't a funny thing is that when i was in sales i wasn't a good closer i'm a relationship guy like i the hardest part yeah not i'm not like that i can't demand anything in this case it's my back's against the wall you're looking for a job i'm gonna be you know ballsy i'm gonna ask say listen everything you need that you need to ask me or anybody is in that book so that's what it was, and social media, um, so basically I wrote an article about creating a portfolio and that went out, uh, okay. became popular. so then as soon as I wrote those two articles, somebody reached out to me and said, hey dude, if you're not on Twitter, uh, you need to reconsider what you're doing because uh, you're writing now. If you're writing for magazines and if you're blogging, you need to find a place to talk to the people who have questions, that's what I appeared on Twitter. So, Twitter, LinkedIn were my first two places. I eventually expanded to uh, to Instagram because I was told on Twitter at one point that I was—they didn't know if I was real because uh, <laughs> I I tweeted a lot, but and I retweeted a lot, so I was very bot-like, and there were some questions whether I even was a real person. So, Instagram did, is where did, I went—did you nurture that that myth? Because that's that's a pretty uh, cool thing, right?
1: Yeah, for a little bit.
0: <laughs> you know, I, 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 kept reading more about this type of stuff and I needed a place to be more personal for many years. I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk or show pictures of uh, my family. Right. Yeah. I just didn't want to drag that into it. Sure. Um, when I decided to go to Instagram, I started slowly bringing my family into it as they got older. Like uh, my son's yeah. 17, my daughter's 14. They're both on Insta, on Instagram. They're both on social media. And I, I'm teaching them, you know, the right and the wrong ways to do it. The mm-hmm. one place I haven't been on, I, I never, it was never a Facebook guy. Uh, anybody who asks, I'll tell you, I share it with my wife. My wife has a Facebook and uh, I, I don't, I don't find value in Facebook. And because for me, Facebook, from my company perspective now does have value, but for me personally, it never did. Um, I'm not really into the, sharing recipes and complaining about local politics. So I don't, you know, and what I have to talk about, nobody of my friends or family want to hear. They still don't know what I do. And I've said it a hundred times. I'm still just a cable guy. I'm an over-glorified, you know, geek Fix squad. Yeah. yeah, that's it, man. I should be, you know, climbing poles outside fixing cable. That's pretty much what, you know, the, the mentality is. But um, that's my social media, how I got into it. Uh, it just kind of had to happen because of other things, um, and I've been toiling at it. You know, I, the, before I even tweeted for the first time, I uh, I read a handful of books. Uh, I had to learn about it because I was super, super uh, careful about what are, how what are, I did. what are some good books. What would you recommend? Where to get started? Uh,
2: he,
0: Here's the funny thing: I bought books about Twitter, how to tweet, what to tweet, but every author that I read, like. I read two books on Twitter and I forget, I think one was Joel Kahn's book. Um, Everybody that was writing about Twitter was, everybody had a section about personal branding and that completely, you know, I kept seeing that same pattern and that changed my perspective because what personal branding was teaching was that you are the brand, right? Mm -hmm. Now that's hard to, to sink in for a lot of people, Right. Everybody understands brands as Nike swoosh, right? In our business, there's crushron uh, there's Extron, there's uh, you know, there's there's uh, JBL. These are all brands that people know within our industry. Like, what am I as a brand, right? Um, so I basically studied up on branding and personal branding, and basically what had happened was is a weird kind of storm. Uh, other people were doing it as well. Like, how do you how do you separate yourself how do you How do you work with an a v and carry a personal brand right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's all about how the content you're putting out there. Um, I'm not a brand, I still don't think I'm a brand, but yes, people are. <laughs> people are linking me to brand now, not to any specific one brand, but it's it's a very um, it's a, it goes against my nature right yeah. i don't I'm not a bragger right? Like I said, I don't drive a family car, right? I, I can go take a picture of my blue Camry if you want. It's, it, it's, it's nice. It doesn't, it's not going to be on the cover of Motor Trend.
1: But <laughs> it does. It, it doesn't have to be about that. So like you say, you're not a personal brand because you don't have these things. And this kind of leads into my next question is, you know, you have a brand, whether you like it or not, and it's, it's your voice. It's, who you are. So you have this personal brand, but you also work for a company. And I think that's where a lot of people hesitate um, because when you see tweets that are corporate, they just, you you can't build a following like that because it's just not genuine. So I think to survive on social media or to, to get any kind of traction, you really do need to be honest and be yourself and let that personality shine through. But if you're working for a company, there's always this tension of, Am I going to say the wrong thing? Will management approve of what I say? Will I go over the line? And that goes in both directions, right? Like management doesn't necessarily want their employees out there mm-hmm. saying whatever the heck they want on social media for the world to see. And whether it's on your own account or your company's account, it still may reflect on the company if you're talking about, you know, your professional life. Uh-huh. So what are your thoughts on, on that, On balancing that out and, um, and getting out there?
0: It's it's funny because um, at, around the time that I was leaving a help desk uh, and started looking at, at at other companies, my my interviews got very weird. Like I was interviewing for jobs that were either project managers or on site guy or you know consultant designers, and half of my interview was spent on my social. Right, hmm. uh, I took about one or two interviews before I stopped giving away information because (laughs) I didn't realize that I was basically consulting. Uh, That's what I came home and I, and I would, I'd ask, I'd call up a buddy of mine. I'm like, I just had these crazy interviews where, you know, we start talking about my past. I I, I give my resume out and then talks about, you know, conversation went into marketing and uh, you know, what, what do you, what is it? How do you do what you do? And I'm like, you know, I, I I work 24 seven. It's, It's commitment. It's a commitment that not everybody wants to do, but I committed to this about 10 years ago and I'm always on. I lived, you know, I live a digital life. I am plugged in 24 seven. It's, Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's people cringing, listening to this, but that's how I roll, right? Imagine being my wife, not understanding why I'm on Twitter 24 seven, right? And I've had to show her and it's like, listen, this is what, is this has become because I started with a 5 year plan about how I'm going to take social and if it doesn't go anywhere I'm done right okay after 5 years it worked um it it, it became part of my interview processes and the one uh, the one thing I haven't said yet is I carry chips on my shoulders um it it drives me to be better right uh one particular interview um The head of the company kept telling their marketing guy uh, to talk to me, talk to me, and I'm like, "Well, what do you, what do you want to talk about?" Uh, And 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 they were talking about, you know, how how did I how could I rank higher than them at an international trade show where I'm not. (laughs) right? As far as like, how am I driving more impressions? How do I got more engagement? Like I'm a one man shop, you know, on a busted cell phone, essentially. And the show was on the other
1: side of the world,
0: right? Yeah, I'm at ISC. And I'm basically, you know, scrounging internet from booths as I get to booth to booth, right? How are you doing this? And I I had a conversation with with the head of marketing for this fairly large company. And they're like, I'm like, they're like, it's impossible that you're that you're that you're pulling the numbers you're doing. And I pulled up a website from from AKA TV. A buddy of mine runs that uh, from Daily Doe and he created this site to show statistics and metrics and engagement and stuff. And sure enough, I pulled it out and here I am in the top 10, you know, of everything. And the their company was ranking in maybe one category, and I was ahead of them. And he has a whole team. And he goes, This is impossible. I said, It's not impossible. It's just that you don't understand how I work. And a lot of this is the chip came from there saying, Well, you don't have a marketing degree. So I don't understand. I said, You know what? I don't need a marketing degree to engage. And I don't need a marketing degree. You know, to just, you know, me not having a marketing degree has me standing here in front of you having a conversation.
1: Yeah, it's too new. Nobody has a degree in it.
0: So, um, yeah that 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 chip on my shoulder drove drove me. I've had a couple of instances where people just don't understand what it is that social is, uh, and even I, you know, I, I I'm not an expert man. I just plug away, and I have rules. I have hard, fast rules, personal rules that have helped me. Okay. Uh, from from a, From an internet perspective, I won't talk about race, sex, politics, religion. None of that stuff, and at times I won't even talk about the fact that I'm a New York Yankees fan because I don't want to. I don't want to shun anybody from, you know, from Philly, from Philly to Boston and Boston to Philly. That you know, limit your
1: audience that way, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, so I'm 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 weary about that. People know that obviously I'm a Giants fan, but you know, I uh, even then I won't get into those discussions. Um, but i'm about as neutral as it comes online at it And my personality is there what you see online is who I am uh, I am a little bit more fiery and personal a lot more colorful in person But that's not what I take to the to the internet and for the people that want to know who I am They've met me in person uh, I'm not you know, I'm, I'm not some dude, you know sitting behind red ropes. I'm easily acceptable, you know accessible not acceptable um, I go to a trade show. I make myself, I, you know, I make myself known. I'm here. I'm at this, you know, yeah. I'm at this location. I'm going to be over here tonight. You know, where's everybody at? I'll come see you. Right. I have no problem with that. And that's part of being in social media, uh, which is I have had to change a little bit because I'm kind of not that kind of person. I'm kind of in a big space. I'm off to the side. I would rather have the small conversations, the small group conversations than be out in front. But if you give me a microphone and tell me to talk, I'm gonna talk. Hence mm. what's going on right now.
1: <laughs> very nice. Very nice. So let me just recap a little bit of what I'm hearing. Um the whole thing was intentional. It sounds like it was, I don't want to say very structured, but there was a plan. Like you said, you had a five year plan. You've got yep. rules which can translate into like a culture or a brand, yeah. right? We we don't talk about this and that. We stand for these things. Um and one of my questions here was, how do you find the time to do it? And you pretty much answered that. And there needs to be some kind of passion. There needs to be some kind of personal thing driving all the interaction because it is a lot of work. And what I'm trying to get at here is, you know, if you're a, a business, how do you use social media and it sounds like you can't just hire somebody and you know say go go post some stuff go share some stuff once in a while and I think that's the interesting part because it kind of it shakes out that corporate um I don't know how to really say this Uh, it's not dishonesty it's just it's a filter where you're getting down to um personalities that 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 rise to the top and gain more traction
0: so, so part of my Starin involvement is, uh, m- my title is Market Development Manager uh, for Experience and Engagement. Uh, one of the things that I do for Starin is I work with the internal people to develop that. How mm-hmm. do we do that? Because selling is not just items anymore, right? It's not just moving boxes. If you want to just move boxes, there are places for that. That's called Amazon. If you want yeah. to build long-term, long-standing relationships you got to be willing to put yourself out there, right? And it is, I guess, sales. The difference is, is that I don't see myself as a sales, in, in as a sales hunter. I see myself as more of a farmer. So I will, I will cultivate and wait, and I'm patient in developing, you know, um, these personal brands for everybody. And along those lines, as they're as they're developing how to use the the internet, they're also making friends. And they are showing that they are accessible. You know, we, we don't buy, right? We don't buy from from companies. You buy from people, right? You buy from people you trust. There are people that, you know, may leave a department within a company and go to another department and their customers will follow them. Right? So
1: so say, say you're working for an imaginary company and, and they want to start promoting their company, their brand, with social media, how, mm-hmm. how do you find, what are the traits you look for to find the the Chris Neto in your company?
0: Uh, first of all, you gotta find people that are willing to share, right? So the first thing I do, uh, or I have done, is where I will meet with everybody. And of that, if I'm meeting with 30 people, maybe five will be left behind and they're curious. Of those five, maybe, three will come at to me and say hey i really am interested in how i can take this to the next level and by the end i may end up with just two people that have really got how it works and i'm okay with that because there's now three of us at a place right how Mm -hmm. big are social media teams at companies some are massive but most of the times it's i'm not looking for quantity i'm looking for quality so to teach them how to build out the relationship, how to be personal, and how to instill certain rules into their thing, it's not that hard. Uh, but the big part of working with companies is it's it's injecting myself into it, right? So if you did not know XYZ company, maybe now you do because I'm here. and Maybe you're now looking at our website because I'm here. I don't carry star power, but I do carry trust, If I'm here, there's I'm here for a reason, and I'm open and honest about why I'm here, right? Anybody can reach out to me and ask me that question, and I will give you an honest answer. I have no no problem with that. Um, But you know, it's 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 a commitment. And from those, and then from those two people, that sounded oh my god, you only out of thirty, you only got two people that really buy into this idea. Yeah, and then the next time I do it, I get another two another three and then five. Next thing you know, everybody's then incorporating and what, I, what, what the ultimate goal is to blend it into your work day, uh, you know, and, and let it be seamless.
1: That, that's my next question is how important is consistency? Because, it, uh, you know, we've already said it takes a lot of time and effort. And there are times where I just need to go offline this month so I could get some of these other projects done and change my focus. How, how deadly is doing that taking all four weeks? It's, it's tough, especially when you're establishing yourself and your voice, right? You have to be consistent,
0: especially in the early part. You have to put up numbers. Uh, it's not tweeting aimlessly It's or not posting aimlessly. It's, it's being consistent. If you want to be recognized, and the community online, the AV Tweeps community, the AV and the AM community, the pro AV community, they'll all look for people that are being consistent and constantly posting, and things will, will happen organically, and that's what you want. So early on, absolutely. If I took a week off right now, people are questioning what, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have to be very open about, hey, listen, you know, um, on Sundays when I run my chat, yeah. uh, I'm running late, you know, give me a half hour uh, or I didn't get a chance Saturday night because life happened right. uh, to, to prepare questions to, re- to, to, to put out on a Sunday morning. So, and you got to remember, uh, you know, I, I'm working to me, that's not part of my starring gig, A B and A M. You know, A B and A M something I do on my, on my own time, and I do that because it that happened organically. It happened because of a picture of a coffee cup, and I answered a question, <laughs> right? And that's I amazing. Found, I found that eight o'clock in the morning on Sundays is when most people were up rummaging, doing the same thing I was, that's which cool. was checking out my phone and making breakfast, at least preparing uh-huh. breakfast for my kids. Um, and that's what I was doing on Sunday, and that's how. Basically, now eighteen months later, almost two years later, AVM the AM has grown.
1: So it's it's amazing what's happened there. And um, I observe screen free Sunday, which is why you don't see me there too often. But uh, every once in a while, I answer on a Monday uh, a softball or a low ball pitch. Mm-hmm. And I got one more question for you regarding that. It's very easy to be misunderstood. I found out things that I think are obvious. With maybe it's something technical, or maybe it's a way to do a project or something, some kind of concept. And I'll just tweet about it. And it's enlightening to see some of the responses of how misunderstood I could be. And then how do you go about responding to that? So I guess my question is, is how much effort do you put into planning the things that you post?
0: (laughs) Uh, I try to be in, I try to be in my house by like eight o'clock on a Saturday night. Uh, if I'm writing topics for, for, for AB and AM, because by eight o'clock, I'm sitting down, uh, I've had dinner, and now I'm just going through the internet looking for stuff to talk about. And I'm looking at stuff that I recently talked about. Do I bring stuff out? When I'm stumped, I go to the mailbox, whereas where people are sending me, you know, hey, sure. can we talk about this? Can we talk about that? So I'm grateful for that community is great in that hey i'd really love to hear more about esports or uh you know i want to mm-hmm. hear more about how bad audio has become in huddle spaces right um there are people that will send me those questions all the time and i have a great audience uh on sunday mornings that are highly engaged and highly participant you know uh, part of it uh, my favorite part though has been and it's a favorite and not a favorite uh they they police that hashtag and when i saw that happening uh it, i i was shocked you Who, know people, who's they they the, the the people that tweet on sundays into yeah. avn they will police it if it becomes if oh, they yeah. see people tweeting into that that its company and talking company jargon they call them right out oh yeah it's amazing uh, Absolutely. And
1: so and that's yeah. that's the power of the whole thing is that it just keeps it keeps it real
0: yeah yeah, it's it's been a fun ride. Um, I, I have to say, uh, everything that uh, that has happened on AV and AM to me has happened by chance. Uh, everything that I've done on on internet social wise has been part of a plan, but sometimes you have to go with you know with these little things that pop up um, it and run with it. In this case, um, it, it AV chat happened years ago. Uh, Paul Kanakowski was running AB Chat years ago, um, uh, back uh, when I first got on Twitter, uh, and then it kind of, you know, ran its course, and people kind of walked away, and then it was dead. There was no chat, and I didn't want to recreate AB Chat. That was its own thing, you know. And when I started doing ABM, you know, Paul reached out. I said, "Dude, it's not, it's not what what you did." But I don't want to take away from that either. You know, I, I I kind of want to honor the fact that there was others before me. You know what I'm saying? I, I'm kind sure. of respectful of that. And Paul joins in. Uh, Paul has his uh, you know, uh, he's opinionated. He, he's opinionated, absolutely. And he has his he has things that he jumps into and and sometimes he doesn't participate. But uh, it was no means that I say I'm gonna co-create a chat. Cause recently prior to AVDM starting, I had people that are like, hey man, I'd love to start an AV chat. So I don't have time. Navy chat. Yeah. The idea was that it were going to happen during a week. I did not realize that Sundays at eight o'clock Eastern was the time. Yeah. Um, and I didn't expect people from Europe to be joining in because that's where, you know, the early, the early crowd are all these guys that are coming, guys, the women and men coming from the UK, you know, chatting into this conversation. So it's, it's, it's been an amazing journey.
1: Very very cool. Congratulations. Uh, Luck always has something to do with everything, but the person behind it usually has something to do with it as well. So, um, do you have any uh, final thoughts on on this whole subject for us?
0: Well, I mean, you can go with luck. Uh, You can also try uh, the theory of, you know, make your own luck. Uh, You have to continue, um, you know, on on the social side for people that are listening to this and going, this guy's out of his mind, um, possibly. (laughs) <laughs> there, there is some, you know, there is some psychosis behind it where you have to dedicate yourself to it, but you don't have to be as over the top as I was early on or what I do now. Um, it's striking a balance. It's looking to reinvent yourself. And that's basically what it was. Uh, it, it was almost a reinvention because I didn't have a marketing background, right? I just, school of hard knocks and life taught me things, right? Being a DJ, handing out flyers. Uh, taught me that social media is all about giving people access to cool things. If I didn't hand out those flyers, they wouldn't get into the club for free and bring, you know, friends to that club. And I would not have the club filled if it wasn't for those flyers that I dropped off at the mall. Right. Um, That's how I learned social media in a very, very rudimentary way. Um, It's all about, you know, something and you have it to offer. Uh, Social is a very big information exchange. Right. You may know something and you want to put it out. And I'm not talking about proprietary stuff. I'm just simply talking about knowledge, (laughs) knowledge, ideas, and giving people a platform to voice themselves. Right. Um, I think that's uh, equally as important.
1: Excellent. If anybody would like to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Well, I'm not on the internet anymore. So,
0: <laughs> no, well, uh, on Twitter you can find me at at Chris underscore Neto. Uh, you can get me on my podcast, uh, which is sponsored by Starin. That's the Rebels in Flux podcast. That's out on YouTube and on the Starin, uh Synergy Center page. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram as uh, Av Shout, uh, which was my original blog site uh, where I started back then. And that's a whole other story uh, about the red band bloggers and what that did. Um, and you can find me on LinkedIn, Christopher Neto, CTS, just look it up.
1: You'll pop it up. It'll, uh, I'm sure will come up there. Good stuff. Chris, thanks for talking to us today. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. If you or anyone on your staff ever considered themselves just an AV programmer, Join the club. That's how I used to feel. I was just an AMX programmer or just a Crestron programmer. Whatever language of your choice is, whatever it may be, there's generally this feeling in AV that we're not capable of using modern programming languages. And it simply isn't true. Sure, there's a learning curve, but once you get through it, all other languages become easier to learn and it just expands the amount of options you have when designing a system. It's not an either-or decision. You don't say, I won't be using these manufacturer tools anymore. It's just you have a broader palette to choose from. And here's what Mark Day, founder of IdeaBox, had to say about his experience
2: with the online courses at LearnAVProgramming.com. You know, Patrick, it's funny how the smallest things can sometimes be the start of really big ideas. Uh, Before I took the LearnAVProgramming.com courses, I was in that proprietary I'm only a control system programmer kind of mindset right Uh, when it came to new technologies or current technologies like JavaScript or or things like that for some reason I thought that was different from what I'm doing and what taking your courses flipped for me was not so much what I learned technically taking the courses it was the mindset of oh, wait a second, I'm already doing 99% of what some of these most modern programmers are doing. I just have to learn, uh, you know, the other 1%. And that's really what I did. So it's really been kind of a big change after taking the course. Um, And I would really recommend this course to any integrator. Not only will it obviously help their skill set, but more importantly, it might change their whole mindset. Uh, which is more important, and and really show them new opportunities, open the door so they kind of see problems through a different lens. Uh, I got to tell you, one of the the biggest changes for me was as soon as I taught myself HTML, CSS, JavaScript, and saw the UIs that I can make with those technologies, I I, I just couldn't sell a uh, Crestron touch panel again.
1: Mark is a great example of somebody who takes new information and really applies it. I know that Mark still sells a lot of Crestron equipment, but for him, for his company, for his customers, for his business, he needed a better UI. He needed another option for a user interface, and modern programming allowed him to do that. So the question is, how can you use modern programming to improve your business? Please go to learnavprogramming.com and wherever you see a sign up button, go ahead and sign up and you'll get some free information to get a feel of my learning style and what kind of information is available. And of course, it would be an honor to have you enroll in one of our courses and help you upgrade your skills and take this industry to the next level. Thanks for listening to Software Defined Survival. I hope you found it useful and maybe it inspires you to try out something new this week. If you have any questions, Go to SoftwareDefinedSurvival.com and click the appropriate button. I'd love to answer your questions on the air. And if you'd like to help spread the word, please subscribe, comment, and share it with your friends. Thanks.